resources that think it should be important to everyone because that's where you find your reasoning. Sabi Mana Jean-Claude is a visual artist and a contemporary storyteller. His interests lie in photography, film, and video production and design. As a visual artist, he believes one should be the voice for the voiceless. He uses his work as an activism tool. Jean-Claude has won the Adobe Design Achievement Award in 2019 for top talent in photography. Thank you to Open Design Africa for inviting us to collaborate on this five-part series under their theme, Africa Rising. Head to opendesignafrica.org for more information about them and NairobiDesignWeek.com to check out the other episodes from this series. This is Africa Design. I'm Naitiemu. Thank you for joining us. So thank you, Jean-Claude and Sabimana. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Very, very correct, yeah. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> okay, I'm originally from... Burundi from Rwandese parent and a Burundian parent. In 1994, during the genocide, we flew to Kenya until 2006 when I left uh, Kenya to South Africa. So I've been in Kenya since. Wow. I can call myself Kenyan. <laughs> Absolutely. And Kenyans are so welcoming that I'm, I'm sure you're mm. Kenyan. So how old were you when you left Rwanda? I was about nine, nine years. Okay. And mm. you've been able to travel in a way and discover parts of Africa and then onto South Africa. So how has that upbringing influenced you? It has influenced me a lot. I've seen different cultures. I've experienced, met and seen different works, different thinking, cross borders, continental, international. So yeah, it has broadened my thinking and my mind quite a bit. Yeah. And what about your parents? How have they influenced you and your upbringing? That's a good one. Okay. I grew up around cameras, so that means until 1994, because after that, everything was lost. My dad had uh, two cameras, so he had a camera with a zoom, if I can remember, and uh, an automatic camera. So he used to take pictures of us when we were kids, the family, when we travel. So I grew up uh, that the cameras and taking a picture, that's how I, I end up. I fell in love with uh, photography and taking pictures and imagery in general. So I would say my parents, especially my father, has a big part. He has played in my career as uh, a visual artist. That's wonderful. So once you came to Nairobi and you moved to South Africa, how did those two countries impact you? Actually, I didn't go straight to Nairobi. I passed through Tanzania, where we lived for about four years as well. So, yeah, I was still a boy, but also learned so much from their cultures and the traditions. Um, then to Kenya, where I did uh, part of my primary school and high school. And then when I finished my high school, I was like, okay, I need to study further. I need to go to a university and I really, really wanted to explore Africa and other countries and wanted to be somewhere else. So mm. that's when I told my parents, you know what, I think I'm going to South Africa. And they were like, uh, how and what are you going to do? 
And I was like, I don't know how or what I'm going to do, but one thing I know my aim is to go there and I'm going for education. Went to other my studies. Don't know how, but that's the idea. That's how I came to South Africa. And how did you sell that to your parents, to your family? So because we've been like running, let me call that way, they used to one deciding and taking on a different journey and they will be fine with that. I was without my mom for quite long, about seven to 10 years, and I was still a boy. And that's when I actually needed my mom, but she was nowhere to be found. We all thought she was dead. Like we understand when somebody decides uh, or when circumstances forces one to take on another journey. So my parents and the family, we are open like that. I can wake up and say, you know what? I think I'm going to try Mozambique or I'm going to try Tanzania. They know I'll be able to survive because I've survived in different conditions when I was still a boy. So as a grown-up man, they knew I would survive. Wow, man. So that's inspiring. I can share the other part of South Africa. When I arrived in South Africa, that was in 2006. It's a serious adventure where you go into a country knowing nobody and you have to make it. You have to find ways and means of surviving. So I got in this country. I started life as every foreigner when they get in this country, find a, a way of accommodation and the next thing you find a job. So I was quite lucky. Uh, I started a job that was not quite comfortable with me. It's called a car guard. You guard cars and they will give you coins. Nobody hires you to stand there and guard the cars, but there were people benefiting from that because they know, they will tell you, if you stand there, I will give you uniform. Then there's a certain fee you pay from the money you make for the day. It's like they're taking commission from you. So I did that job for about three months while finding my ways. Then after that, I joined the hospitality industry. I worked for a restaurant as a barman. No, actually, I started as a cleaner, then a kitchen, and then barman. From then, I went to a hotel where I was a waiter and a barman. I worked for about five to seven years in the hospitality industry. Then that's when I could be able actually to accomplish my goal and what brought me to the country. So... I saved up a bit of money, then I enrolled in tertiary education. I first enrolled uh, with the UWC, the University of Western Cape, doing computer science. In my second year, financial constraints, then I had to drop. Then I went back, worked a bit. That's when I realized that as much as I love computers, but I'm not a computer scientist. I'm more of a visual artist than a computer scientist because then while I was working, I bought myself a camera. That's when I actually realized I'm not a computer scientist. I bought a semi-professional camera and I was enjoying taking pictures and recording videos. Through the images I was creating, that's when I was like, okay, let me apply for... Uh, um, my first choice was video production and the second choice was photography. So choice was quite a hectic because for foreigners, there's a certain number they take and they put me on a waiting list while photography department actually took me as the first person because my portfolio, the images that I've been creating without even knowing how to use a camera perfectly, like, you know, the knowledge that you would uh, get uh, from a university. 
So the portfolio actually was quite good that they were like, ah, we needed this student here. Three years for a national diploma and I did my fourth for a BTEC, which is like a Bachelor of Technology in Photography. I ended that one on a high note, top portfolio and top performer. And then that actually allowed me to do my postgrad in Stellenbosch. Stellenbosch it was quite interested in me. So they offered me a bursary of uh, 80%, which was a relief compared to somebody who's paying 100%. Then I went to further my studies with the Stellenbosch Academy, where actually I created the project you saw, the Traitor's Heroes, Heroes of Trash. Let me rewind a bit in the story. Actually, I find my interests mainly in fashion, African fashion. Africa and African culture is very rich and we have so much story to tell, but it's not told as much as I think that it should be. The exposure of the African culture and traditions, it's not to that level that I think where we should be because it is really a rich culture and it would be an honor sharing it with the world. So kind of like African fashion, where I incorporate fashion, a tradition, and a culture. I have a project that I'm planning to create. It's going to be like a futuristic kind of project where I'm going to create heroes, but these heroes will be female, African female, who will be dressed futuristically. And the purpose of these heroes, it's imaginary heroes, but the idea is to combat the uh, women abuse and femicide, especially in this country, in South Africa, even if you look on the news, it's serious. So the idea is to incorporate the African culture and the futuristic ideas like fiction to dress the characters and create them and give them a role and the powers. They will be like the imaginary heroes to combat the femicide and women abuse. It's in a way of creating awareness and sharing with the world or the people who will be able to see the visuals that I'm going to create to let them know this is what is happening in the country and you can fight this and you can become better people, a better continent. The plastic pollution project, well, it's a similar idea to what I've just shared. So I created these imaginary heroes. I gave them different powers and different roles within the project. And these heroes, they had to save the planet, to combat plastic pollution, yeah, and save the planet. So the characters were to combat and to educate and drive change towards this issue of illegal dumping, which is the main cause of plastic pollution. I created characters, I photographed them in areas where is legal dumping happening, recycling areas, just to show we are trying, we're doing our best for those who are trying to recycle. But recycling is not the permanent solution because all these recycled plastic, what happens is they go back into production and they produce more plastic and bring back on the market. The part of this Plastic that actually gets recycled, it's less than what ends on the environment and the water. Each character had a role and a story to tell and the power. The last character, which was Odari, did that. 
plastic man everywhere with bottles is he has a magnetic body. Everywhere he passes, he attracts plastic. He's like the hero to save the world. He's cleaning, collecting plastic because they all attach to the body. And it's in a way of encouraging every individual in the world to become this magnetic hero. I don't know if Kenya has what we call eco-bricks, because here some of those uh, bottles turn them into eco-bricks. They can be used to build houses uh, for decoration, etc. Every character that I've created in that project has a name. So the names are purely African. Mainly they are Swahili, because I grew up in Kenya. So there's the Hodari, is Daliri, there's uh, Nuhu. Nuhu is Noah in um, English or French, I don't know, yeah. Um, so the Nuhu character is savior. If you've seen the image of this hero that is saving a plastic body from the water, that's Nuhu. So all those characters had names, and those names are purely African, like Swahili, Kinyarwanda, and Kirundi. And it's amazing. I've got it in front of me, actually, on the Photographic Museum of Humanity, right? And all the characters are written up there. So that's where people can find it as well. And so these characters, I'd love to know more. Were any of them inspired by real people? Some are inspired by real people. Others are the African stories and the others are just my imagination. Mm, okay, and that's just this blend. So you designed the outfits as well? No, the outfit that I collaborated with uh, Masamara, it's a brand. His real name is Eli Gold Hamza, but he's from Rwanda. So he's a long-term friend. He's a fashion designer and very creative as well. Since I'm like so much into fashion and I couldn't just create fashion images which are not actually telling a story or tackling a certain crisis or an issue. So that's where I approached him. I'm like, let's not just create beautiful visuals of a design, but I want to create fashion photographs that would tell a story that would tackle a certain crisis that is currently happening. I find the image of the three people standing in the street at the traffic lights on the crossing, that one is really striking. It looks risky, right? Just the image itself and imposing. That's why I call that image the protest. It's like these heroes were protesting against urban life, the lifestyle we live in the city. It's the main contribution to all these crises. The motorists who contribute to air pollution industries, which are the main air pollution, and also plastic, because in the city we live fast life. That's where plastic is mainly used, because we want to use everything at once. And the habit of mass production and mass consumption, that's the whole thing that contributes so much plastic pollution. Because if you were to go... Like back in the village, there's less plastic pollution. There's less illegal dumping. You find much of that in the cities. So those heroes were protesting to have their voice heard, to create awareness and to drive change towards the issue of mass consumption, plastic pollution, air pollution, and illegal dumping.
actually, that's the other reason that I created the project again. I used to travel a lot between uh, Cape Town and Stellenbosch, and I used to use public transport. If I use taxis, and I mean, I mean like Matatu, I will use three or four. And through my up and down between Cape Town and Stellenbosch, that's when I realized that actually it's a habit. It's too much. And I wanted to do something about it, which is the reason I created the project. So you will be sitting in a taxi or in a matatu, and a person next to you is drinking Coca-Cola or eating crisps or chips. And then the next thing, when they are done, instead of keeping it, and wait to throw in a bin or throw it at home when you get there, where you know, at least I know I've thrown this in the bin. It's going to be collected maybe once a week. And you know, these things are taken to a certain place where they're going to be, you know, taken care of instead of throwing it in the environment. They just open the window, chuck it out of the window. That's what happens. In the train, the same thing. Even if where is sitting and where the bin is, doesn't even have to stand up. You can just aim and throw, but they don't want to do that. They just throw in the railway. That's how the idea of the project also came together. That was one of the reasons as well. Yeah, it really is a beautiful project. And are you doing more around this project or to do or other projects around the same theme as well? Are you working on some other stuff around the same theme? Yes. So next year, I'm going to continue with my post UCT. And uh, the project, it's going to be like an extension to this project. But now this time, I'm going to incorporate e-waste, electronic waste, which is another serious issue that uh, facing Africa mainly because of the informal e-waste recycling sector, which is actually a threat to public health and environment. So I'm gonna use the same uh, concept of creating characters. I'm gonna re-articulate and expand the concept and ways of creating the project. I'm gonna create the new characters, not the solution and e-waste. I'll be tackling the issue of e-waste, but within the project, uh, keeping the concept, uh, but just expanding and articulating. I got you. So this e-waste project, really, it's interesting because you're definitely approaching all this work beyond being a photographer as really a storyteller. I'd love to know more about the stories and what's your process in creating this story and what's your process going to be for this e-waste project? Every time I think of a project or starting or undertaking on a project, I always create scenarios. I will take a crisis or a situation that I need to tackle and create a scenario, either a utopian or dystopian uh, scenario. From that scenario, that's when I develop characters. And then from those characters within that scenario, I will give them powers first. Then after giving them powers, different powers, then I'll give them different roles. Then from those roles, I will put together a way that I'm going to communicate with the world or the people who's going to be engaging with my work, how to tell a story. If uh, a character, maybe Nuhu, has these uh, power and abilities, 
and his role is this within the scenario, that will help me to send that message, particularly to those people who feels like that character, that hero character. So that helps me in a way of communicating with the people. It's not like telling them directly, I'll create a character. The moment you engage with the character and what the character does and the powers the character has, then you find yourself within the project or within the scenario. You'll be like, okay, actually, that sounds like that's me right there. And then that will encourage you and inspire you to do exactly what the character does. Then after that, I will start sketching. The moment I put the characters together, the scenario, I do as I sketch. So when it comes to creating actual character, and then from that, it's going to help me to actually bring the character to life. So I will say, if I say there's a Maasai Shuka that needs to be used if there's the things that I need to make from, because I normally use plastic and other found objects this time. So I'm going to be also using e-waste, uh, TVs, computers, microwave, cell phones. So the moment I sketch a character down and put down things that I'm going to need to actually create the character and bring it to life. Then from then, I'm going to start now going to recycling areas, looking for the object and the materials and the raw materials that I need to use to create the character. Then from then to the sketch, to the way I have it in my head, then I'll start building it, building it. And I document every process. So then I can sit or when I'm sharing a project with others, I can show them the process it took me to be where I am, to have those characters where they are. Yeah, that's how I create. So the process is so important and being able to document and look back over it. What were some of the challenges that you faced on this last project? Practical challenges? They were mainly financial. As much as I had friends, I had people that I can call favors from. I can say, oh, friend, so I'm going to look for plastic bottles. Please, do you want to accompany me? And they would do that. So I had friends. I had models. Um, I had people around me. I didn't have money to create the project. The means were not there really. So it was a struggle, but I'm glad I managed to create something. Yeah, congratulations. It's really cool. And I can't wait for the next one either. And thank you. Yeah. And it's good to have that community that you can collaborate with, right? So you're studying. What are your views on getting a formal education versus being a self-taught creative? To be honest, I always salute the self-taught people. Because uh, for a formal education, one can do it without even having a passion for that thing that they're spending years studying for. But a self-taught, you will never wake up and say, I'm going to create a character from plastic, unless you have a passion of creating things. Self-taught people, they're more creative individual than people who take on formal education. Maybe the only thing that we, who goes through studies would be better at, it's talking about their work, how to sell their work to the world than a self-taught. A self-taught will create, maybe even going to create something, a character that 
maybe from a story, inspiration, a dream, but wouldn't even have a way of selling that character, telling the people what the character is. The formal education people can be able to write and talk about their work. While the self-taught, they have a little bit of struggle around there, but they're more creative. So is that what education has given you then? The structure and the ability to talk about your work? Exactly. That's what education has done for me. It has developed the creativity I had in me. This development, you get developed to become a better critical thinker, very good creative uh, problem solver, while uh, self-taught would struggle balancing uh, between those person who goes through education will be able to maneuver between all those processes and by the end of the day create something that is meaningful because when the person is creating that particular item, he's using what you acquire through education to put it together. So it's going to have a meaning. There's a process. There's a communication behind it. So that's what I've gained. Apart from nurturing my creativity and being developed to a critical thinker, a creative, a problem solver, or a person who goes through education, it's mainly to develop your creativity. And also, sometimes to self-taught people, they don't think the process is the main part of creation. The process to a formal education person is very important. And the process, I, I think it, it should be important to everyone because that's where you find your reasoning. Why am I creating this? Why do I have to take this process much as it can be difficult? Why create this? What are these creations I'm creating? What are they going to be used for? What are the purpose? What are the reason behind what you are creating? You had such a huge array of different jobs and worked with a large diversity of people. So what did the jobs teach you about life and creativity? Jobs teaches you so much in a practical way to do things and how to do it professionally. But in terms of being a creative thinking, that's through education and the personal gained so much through work doing. But when it comes to create, the way I think of creating is personal. It's through the education, that capacity. I would say work experience is very important because even before you get hired anyway, you have to have that work experience. But it's education and yeah, but I've had a chance of having both. You took part in Open Design Africa Festival, right? And the themes there were Africa Rising and Small is Massive and Design for Change. So around Mm -hmm. those themes of Design for Change and Small is Massive, what do they mean to you? How do you interpret those? For me, Design for Change is that something that has struck me and it's something that is in, in me, and that's what drives my creativity, that drives every project I do. I believe that uh, it's up to the designers now to change the world. 
when I say designers, um, I mean, even corporate developers, they are some sort of designers. Uh, urban um, planning, it's part of designing. Design to include design for social change because it's the designers who divide societies, who creates things that would cause problems. I believe that if there is any invention or anything that has ever been designed that is perfect, and I would salute the, the designer, is the container. You know, these containers, the trucks contain. I've never seen a container taking part in any sort of pollution whatsoever. Although, like now in Cape Town, everywhere you look around, especially around the harbor, will find containers, so there are plenty. Apart from them taking the space, I don't think there's any social issues that they're causing or any negative impact on the environment. I salute designers who create things bearing in mind society and environment. That's why everything I do when I'm creating, I don't just want to create uh, beautiful things. I want to create Beautiful things with a meaning. Beautiful things that contribute towards a change. Society and environment and the future. So um, for me, design for change, it's what drives me. You said also about design education. Actually, on my day, the panel was about, the discussion of that day was about design education. How could the institution uh, produce design that are industry ready. When it comes to industry ready, I question a bit on that because when you say industry ready, is are they ready to go and do the work or are they ready to go and change the outdated thinking? The thing that is making the world and society suffers. Somebody who can go and create and do the work perfect, or somebody who's gonna go and challenge the norms. But we have also faced so many challenges because of those designs. When you say industry ready, to me, I would rather think uh, industry ready graduates ready to challenge the old ways of doing things to the new ways of creating things for a sustainable future. Yeah, that's really important and interesting to you mentioned the industry ready thing as well. And there's so many ways to be industry ready and to now, like you said, with everything that's developing and designed so very quickly, the role of designers shifting and changing constantly. And to go back to the containers, so what about the aspect of containers that they are necessary for shipping? They are necessary for the shipping trade and for trucks. And both of those industries are massive pollutants and bad for the environment. A very good question. It's not the container doing the damage. It's the truck and the ship that carries the container. For me, I was saluting the person who came up with the idea of creating a container because it has been the same ever since until now and still doing its job perfectly. Although the trucks, the ships, they contribute so much in air pollution, I agree. But if there was other ways where uh, we can have maybe 
trucks that uh, would have less uh, impact on uh, environment, like uh, would pollute less. Ships that would pollute less because the ideas are there and there's ways of putting those ideas into action or creating something that would put those ideas into action. So if we can come up to maybe uh, electronic kind of truck that it doesn't have to consume fuel and release a smoke to pollute the air, the container is still perfect. So the issue is not around the container. The issue is around people and the shipping companies, the manufacturing, I mean, if they can innovate and create and come to a solution where they reduce of that truck and the shipping to the environment, then the container is all perfect. Yeah, good point. Okay. Okay. Imagine if they are manufacturing hybrid cars, they can do the same with the trucks and the ships, where they're going to create those uh, trucks that have less impact on the environment. So the moment that that comes into place in the container, it's still the same from the day one until now. Gotcha. On to other stuff as well. What other things have you worked on or are you working on that you'd like to share? It's a project that I did for my fourth year of photography, which was around the societal issues of foreigners in South Africa. For my thesis and uh, my creative practice for my fourth year, much as I love fashion, I didn't want to go create just beautiful fashion images. There is the challenges I'm facing as a foreigner in this country, and I know these many like me that are facing the same challenges. So I don't have much to do about it, but at least I can document it. So I created a body of work documenting societal issues that we are facing as foreigners in South Africa. So where my subject, let me call them that way, uh, when we were talking, because I'm one of them, they would feel free to share. And some would share stories that really sad and sometimes inspiring, where somebody shares a story of how he escaped death, went through five or seven countries struggling without even money or any modes of transportation to get to this country, apart from finding the ways of coming with the trucks, jumping the borders and got into the country because he was looking for refuge. And he got in the country, treated like we are treated here with xenophobia. One escaped the first is of an xenophobic attack. And at that time he was living in the township. So from all that to a successful business, not as a billionaire, he could be able to take care of his bills. Uh, despite or regardless of the situation that he has been facing. They will share, like, how do they feel being in South Africa? Many of them, they will tell you, also I would say the same, if I had anywhere else to be, I wouldn't be here because uh, we are not treated, not good at all. In Kenya, nobody bothered me. They will call me, hey, Rwanda, which means you're from Rwanda. And that's it. 
And they not in a bad way because they were also calling each other using the tribe's names. Hey, Jaluo, Kikuyu, you know what I mean? Nobody bothers you. Nobody interferes with your life. I wish it was the same here. Unfortunately, it's not the same. Here you are being a reminder that you are foreigner in country and you are not wanted. It's an everyday thing. Through the news, through the encounter with the people that you meet, the local people, it's serious. So I managed to do a project around that issue and had a work that I ended up in a small exhibition, but that it was a diversity exhibition. I haven't had a chance to have an exhibition of my own and share the story of many like me. Really amazing work. A very important topic generally is the attitude towards foreigners shared, whether they're a refugee or whether they're an immigrant. And does it differ at all? What are the attitudes to different, I guess, types of foreigner in South Africa? It's generally like the same, although refugees and maybe illegal immigrants will be treated differently than foreigners with a work permit or student visa. So in general public, you are treated the same because they don't know whether you have documents or you are a refugee or you so and so. But when it comes to private sectors, institution work, documents work. One present and the other one present is different. The laws are still the same. As somebody else will present maybe a study permit in the public or a work permit. And those people, they will be treated different to me because they are somehow regarded as is actually the ones who are reading country, even though I'm also a refugee status, which allows me. So in general public, treated the same. When it comes to institutions and work and private sector, we are treated differently. Yeah, thank you. It's a strange world we live in, isn't it? That we have to put all these labels on people. Mm. What has spending time with refugees taught you? The first thing it has taught me is that every refugee has a story, devastating and sad stories, but also inspiring stories. Start from mine. To be honest, I never knew that I was going to reach 18 years old. I never knew that I was, like, I knew that I wasn't going to reach 18. I've suffered, I've been through situations that would cost one's life, but here I am. I'm creating work that inspires and uh, creates awareness. So, yeah, talking to refugees, I realized that sometimes you might think that you're the one who suffered the most, and but they never stopped living. They never stopped hoping. They never stopped going forward. I wish there was a way of uh, having uh, people, especially refugees, together and sit and share their story. Because I think that will be the best terror than is going to see a psychologist or in another way of therapy because the moment you share a story and the story can be relevant to the next person you are talking to, I think it helps you releasing much of um, stress, your trauma, your like 
No, you reduce so much uh, that you've been keeping or holding in your head. Imagine now say, oh, you know what? At a certain age, I lost my mom, I lost my parents. I thought they were dead. I remained with my sister, which is that my story. I remained with my sister for a number of years. Uh, we both thought that our family were like dead, finished. And we found each other after five years. And then you think maybe that's the worst that you've been through. So you understand what different kind of situation people went through. And you inspire each other and encourage each other and move forward and hoping to do better because that's what you have to do. Pick up yourself and move forward. But continue fighting because life still goes on. Well, thank you for that. What's the project called so that people can find it? I will have to share a link. Uh, it was Migrants in Cape Town. I have the project on my behance. I will send you the link of that particular project and also the link of my work of Detractors Heroes because the image you saw, there's plenty more of the images. It's on that link. I'm really appreciative and I'd love to honestly listen to more of your stories. And I'm from Poland. I was born in Poland and I grew up hearing stories from family about the war and so on. And there's something, it was strange to me going to Poland or to other countries and hearing people say that they shouldn't take refugees when at a different time that would have been people from just another country. It just seems to go around different mm. countries. It's a particular set of people suffering that we need to empathize with. Two years ago at Design Biennale, we designed the Refugees Pavilion and we did a project that was all actually came out of insights from talking to refugees. We worked with uh, Yara Said, who designed the Refugee Nation flag. And we created a campaign mm. called Labeled Human, encouraging people to share what they've been labeled, because from various people, they'd said that even after moving to another country, they've been labeled a refugee. Why are we all labeling each other? And that's where it came from. So it's all about releasing what we've been labeled. And we created a song, a music mm. video. So we had musicians, a group of musicians came together this year at Nairobi Design Week. We created a song and music video called Labeled Human. I'd love to share that with you. Please, please, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Jean-Claude, there's so mm. many other things I'd love to ask you, talk about your work, but I know time's ticked. So is there something else you'd like to share before we tie up? We can talk more and more. <laughs> that can be like a, a personal kind of arrangement, and then we can have just a chat, the, the normal chat, another day but yeah before we close i wanted to ask what are the chances to be part of nairobi design week uh, when things gets back to normal well they're very high because we love collaborating and we love inviting people and growing the community and your work is really incredible i've already as we've been talking and as i've checked out your behinds and stuff. There's so many ideas that are coming to mind around waste and around some of the things we're potentially working on as well. Like you said, we can have a chat as well. We can talk to each other and explore how these projects intertwine and how we can collaborate. Great. Thank you. Yeah, that would be awesome. Your work's amazing. Yeah. 
where can people find your work and find you online and contact you? And what sort of collaborators are you looking for as well? I'm welcome to any sort of collaboration, as long as it's within creating awareness and designing for change. Any sort of collaboration is welcome. And about my work mainly, it's on Behance. So my Behance page, it has everything. And they can leave a comment, they can leave contacts, and then we can get in touch. Amazing. Thank you. Anything else before we finish up? That's it for now. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Jean-Claude for joining us and to Open Design Africa for collaborating with us on this five-part series under their theme, Africa Rising. Head to opendesignafrica.org for more information about the Open Design Africa Festival and aerobedesignweek.com to check out the other episodes from this series. This episode was produced by Brian of Jarateng Sound Studios. Find him at Luna Da Vinci on Instagram. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Please leave a review or share this episode with someone who will enjoy it. You can subscribe to Africa Design on all major podcast platforms. That's Africa with a K. 